grocery. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, as we read the text for today's uh, sermon. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which she shall not be ta- which shall not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. As the psalmist prayed, I pray that you would open our eyes and we could see truth today from your scripture. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 You can be seated. Some have looked at this passage of scripture and, and titled this The Tale of Two Sisters. I like that. It is the story of these two ladies, Mary and Martha. Just a little bit of context before we get into the passage here. Jesus has been teaching uh, some parables, been telling the story of the, the Good Samaritan. He's emphasizing the importance of loving your neighbor. Then he comes to this part, Luke decides to share this story right here, where he moves from loving your neighbor to loving the Lord, loving God. So he comes to, the Bible says they, they came, Jesus came to this place in a village, and we know from other scriptures that this village was the village of Bethany, not too far from Jerusalem. This family, Mary, Martha, and the brother Lazarus, are very close to Jesus. Another passage in John, the Bible says that uh, Lazarus was the, the one he loved that when he was sick. Come, the one you love is sick is what the, 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 the message came to Jesus. So we know that he had a special relationship with this family, and he stopped there to pause to, to rest in, in the home of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. This is toward the the end of the, the life of Jesus, these final weeks of his life before the crucifixion. So loving your neighbor is not the focus of this passage. What he's saying in this passage here is it's important that you now understand what it means to love the Lord with all your heart. So I want to look at the characters before we walk into some application uh, this morning. The characters here. Um, we have two different people. We have two different sisters. If your family is like my family, uh, we may have been born from the same parents in the same home, but there are differences, different gifts, different personalities. That's the way it was in this, this, uh, this home right here. We have both Mary and Martha, and it's important to understand that both of these ladies love the Lord. Ma- uh, Martha gets a bad rap because of the, the, the complaint that she makes that, that Mary's not helping her, but both of these ladies love the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart. Uh, Charles Wesley has written a hymn. I love this hymn. It's an old hymn. Teach me to serve with Martha's hands and love with Mary's heart. I love that. that. That I could have the same passion for serving that Martha has and the same passion for worship and sitting at the feet of Jesus that Mary has. So that's important. They both love the Lord. But let me talk about Martha first of all. Probably this was her home. Some have said she's probably a widow. When the Bible mentions it's the home of a woman named Martha, uh, she would probably be the older sister. We're not 100% sure that. That's most likely the case here. Um, she's demonstrating her love for Jesus by serving. Look at the passage. The Bible says that Martha was distracted with her many preparations. She's busy preparing to host Jesus. She's making a meal. One uh, scholar said, what would you be doing if God showed up at your house for lunch? 
That's what Martha was doing. Literally, the, the Lord Jesus Christ was God in the flesh in her home, and she's preparing this meal. She's focused on it. And what she's trying to do is she's trying to demonstrate her love for the Lord by serving. Uh, sometimes people will say to me, how are you doing? And I, I want to respond with this phrase. You know, I'm just too blessed to be stressed. That's a good response, isn't it? Well, Martha was too stressed to be blessed. <laughs> Flip that. She was so busy thinking about ministering to Jesus, taking care of him. The Bible says here that she was distracted. Look at verse 40 with me. But Martha, Mary sitting at the Lord's feet, we'll get to her in a minute. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. That word distracted means to be, to be pulled apart, to be dragged away. So think about this. Martha, in her serving the Lord, was being pulled away, being distracted from what was most important. What she was doing was a good thing, but the best thing was her to be worshiping at the feet of Jesus. The implication here is that, that Martha really wanted to hear sit at Jesus' feet just like Mary did, but she thought it was more important at that time to be the person with the hospitality. Have you ever gotten that, to that place in your life where you really wanted to, to demonstrate worship of the Lord, but you're so busy with so many other things, so many other distractions? So I just want to underscore, it's not a bad thing that Martha was, was serving. It's not a bad thing that she was trying to be hospitable to Jesus, but the distraction is what got in the, in the way of what was happening she wasn't distracted by sinful things. We're all, be, all the time preaching about leave this out of your life so it doesn't distract you from worshiping the Lord. Martha was distracted by doing something that was good. She was doing, if you want to say it this way, she was working for the Lord. Yet that is something that got in the way. There's nothing wrong with doing that. But if it keeps you from, from worshiping Jesus, that's where the issue comes in. Someone said Martha's problem was not that she was working hard, but that in her hard work, in her service, she was distracted from Jesus. See, she wanted to do something for him. She wanted to do something for the Lord. What was more important was that she be with the Lord. Well, there's a caution for us. I get ahead of myself with my application, but that, that's, that's what sometimes is a challenge for us. We want to do things for the Lord, but he just wants us to be with him. So that's Martha. She misses this opportunity to worship because of her busyness. She's distracted by the many things the Bible says. Now let's look at the, the other character here in the, in the account, Mary. By the way, every time Mary's mentioned in scripture, it's the same as verse 39. Uh, Martha had a sister named Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to her word. Every time Mary is mentioned in scripture, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. We have her sitting at the feet of Jesus right here listening to him. When Lazarus died and she went to Jesus, uh, Jesus was called to Lazarus uh, to be there. And Lazarus has passed away and it says that Mary was at Jesus' feet there. We have another place where Mary anointed Jesus at his feet, pouring out that fragrant oil in John chapter 12. Wouldn't that be great of you that every time someone mentioned your name, told the story of your life, that you were seated at the feet of Jesus, that you were in a posture of openness and obedience. It, it doesn't just mean to sit there to listen. It means to sit there to listen with an attitude of obedience, with an attitude of submission. That's where Mary was at this time. But there's interesting um, statement made in verse 39 there. She had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet. Now that's the New American Standard Version. Several other versions have it worded this way. She was also seated at his feet. There's that three-letter word kind in the Greek that means also or and. And, and, and I believe that's really accurate. That, that I'm not sure I knew American Standard left that, that, that word out. 
but many other translations have that in there. Mary was also distracted. And that, the implication there is that Mary was helping serve too. But in the midst of all that serving, she realized now it's time to sit at the feet of Jesus. It's not that Martha was doing one thing and Mary was doing the other. I believe they were both involved in the same thing. That Mary had served and now it's time to sit at Jesus' feet. Martha, I, I believe with all my heart that her desire was to be where Mary was, worshiping at the feet of Jesus. By the way, after Jesus challenges her, the next, the next encounter where Mary and Martha are there and Jesus is in their home, uh, there, there's no mention of her serving to being distracted, so I believe she got the message here. Martha, distracted. Mary, worshiping, also at the feet of Jesus. I love what John Bassanio said here. If you think about Mary and Martha, the, you have the sister at the sink and the sister sitting on the floor. And the sister at the scene got upset with the sister sitting on the floor. It could have been the other way around. Mary seated on the floor could have been upset with the sister at the sink with Martha. So there's the characters in this account that, that uh, Luke shares with us. But I, I want to now move to what I think is the, the heart of this passage, and it's the complaint. It's the complaint. The Bible says there again in verse 40, Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? There's her gripe. I'm busy serving you, Lord. I'm, I'm doing what's supposed to be done in her mind. That was the most important thing. And she says, Lord, don't you care that my sister left me? And in essence, she's really blaming Mary because Mary's not there. And she's blaming the Lord. Lord, have a, why haven't you stopped her from doing that? Why haven't you told her, Mary, go help your sister? This complaint about uh, happens in the midst of Mary's serving. Someone said Martha's problem wasn't Mary. It wasn't with Mary. Martha's problem was with Martha. Do you know you can get so wrapped up in serving the Lord, so wrapped up in the Lord's work that you have the wrong heart attitude about others? You can be so passionate about doing things for the Lord, whether it's church work or even any ministry, even in the pastorate, there's this tendency to, to fall in love with the work of the Lord and forget the Lord of the work. That's really what was happening here with Martha. That's, a, that's her complaint. If you're serving, you're in a ministry position, a position of leadership, or maybe a, a position of ministry where you're behind the scenes, and you start to be distracted by that so much that you start to complain about other people because they're not serving like you're serving, something's wrong. I've been in the ministry most of my adult life. And let me tell you, that happens to almost all of us at one time. Why aren't they helping me? You name the event. It could be vacation Bible school. It could be a mission trip. It could be a, a potluck at the church. It could, be, it could be leading worship. It could be doing anything. And you're serving. And you look around at other people that are just sitting there. And instead of focusing your love on the Lord, your focus is on those people that aren't with you doing what you're doing. Be careful about that. That's the complaint Martha has. She's expecting others, Mary, to serve Jesus just like she did, just as passionately. At the same time, the same way, that's her complaint. But I love the next part of this account here. There's, there's compassion. There's compassion with Jesus. Jesus shows compassion. Look at his response to her. By the way, she, if you look at the last part of verse 40, He's, then tell her to help me. Mary, or Martha literally says to Jesus, Jesus, this is what I want you to do about this. 
I want you to tell your, my sister to help me. You ever tried that one? You ever tried to tell God what to do? You ever tried to give God a message? God, would you give this message to that fill in the blank? Brother, sister, mom, dad, siblings, children. God, would you tell them what they need to be doing? That's pretty bold. But Jesus, as Jesus always does, responds with compassion. Look at verse 41. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried about and bothered about many, so many things. Let Martha, Martha. I don't think it's one of those. Martha, Martha, you know like when you're in trouble, you get your first, middle, and last name? Boy, if I ever heard Kevin A. Smilenberg, I knew I was in trouble. This is not one of those things. This is not one of those things. Martha, Martha. I believe Jesus is saying, Martha, Martha, bless your heart. I know your heart. By the way, he knew her heart. You're troubled about so many things. Went back through scripture and looked at all those places in scripture. You have the double mention of a name, Abraham, Abraham. You have Moses, Moses, Samuel, Samuel. And I love in the New Testament when Jesus is affirming and comforting and showing compassion to Peter, Simon, Simon. I think that's that same wording here, the same intent, Martha. Martha, it's, show, it's showing tenderness, it's showing mercy, it's showing compassion. I think what Jesus is saying is, Martha, Martha, you're, you're doing a good thing, but Mary's really doing the better thing. Aren't you thankful that the Lord shows grace and compassion when you don't deserve it? You know, if I'd been there, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have chewed Martha out. I'm thankful God has patience with me, shows grace and compassion toward me when I mess up. When I say, hey, Lord, would you, would you straighten out so-and-so? Would you just tell them what they ought to be doing? Would you just tell them they need to be more like me? They need to have the heart I have. And the Lord just, Kevin, Kevin, it's okay. He shows compassion. I think what Jesus is doing here is he's not contrasting the two women, and Luke isn't showing the contrast so much as he's showing this comparison. Mar Martha, you've, you're doing what's good. Look at verse 42. But only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, and I believe that's implication of the best part, which shall not be taken away from her. That time that she's spending worshiping me, cannot be taken away. The only thing that can take Mary away from worshiping Jesus is Mary herself. Nothing's going to take that away. That time that she spends, that, that nurturing at the feet of Jesus, no one can take that away. But Martha, all those many things had distracted her. Again, she's doing something good. But I think about Jesus' words in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added unto you. But I put that on in my life. I, I look at that in my life. I, all these things, whatever it is that I desire, whatever it is that, that I feel like is important to me, if I will just seek first his kingdom, all, this is Kevin's paraphrase, okay? All the stuff I worry about will be taken care of. All these things will be added to you if you seek me first. Mary is demonstrating that by her heart of worship. He's, she's seeking first the Lord Jesus and his righteousness, his kingdom completely. 
Jesus is saying, I'd, I'd rather you sit with me instead of doing things for me. Again, it's okay to serve the Lord. It's okay to, to be involved in ministry. But the important thing is to understand you can't do that ministry without first being with Jesus. I'm a, I'm a doer. I'm, I'm a, a task-oriented person. I like to get in there and fix things and rescue people and take care of stuff. And, and I'm always wanting to jump in. And the Lord catches me all the time. Kevin, you need to step back a little bit. You need to spend some more time with me because I'm taking care of that already. If you've been in the church for a while, you know that there's a tendency for some of us just to want to fix everything in the church. But let me tell you, if you're in leadership, if you're on staff, if you're the pastor, you, you want to fix everything. And sometimes the Lord just says, just sit back. I've got this. I've got this. That's hard for a doer. It's hard for a person who's been raised to take care of things and to be the person who works hard and has a good work ethic. When sometimes the Lord just says, instead of doing things for me, I just want you to sit with me. And he compares these two. Again, the good with the better. So now I'm to my application. I'm going to list five concluding lessons from this passage of scripture. Here's the first one, if you're taking notes. Spending time alone with God is the one essential in the Christian life. Spending time alone with God, time alone with Jesus, is the one essential. Jesus says it right here, but only one thing is necessary. Serving's good. Sharing Christ is good. All these things are part of the Great Commission. Loving your neighbor is good. Even loving your enemy, all, all of that's important. But the essential thing is sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't know what that looks like for you. It may literally be you sitting on the floor with your Bible. It may be you on your knees with your Bible. It may be you sitting at your uh, a dining room table or your desk or wherever you go to have your quiet time, your time alone with God. But it's essential in the Christian life. You cannot operate, function, do ministry without that time alone with the Lord. Again, I want my life, and by the way, I've been preaching this sermon to myself several weeks since I've been preparing it, okay? It's been for me too. I, I want to be preoccupied with the Lord more than I'm preoccupied with ministry. So, Pastor Kevin, I thought ministry was a good thing. Well, it is. But if I'm so preoccupied with doing things for him I, and I'm not preoccupied with him, I'm missing the boat. That the most important essential thing in the Christian life is spending time alone with Jesus. That's the time that nobody else sees. You thought about that? Now your family might see it, but, but really it's just between you and the Lord. I can stand up here and brag, but the Lord knows how much time I've been with him. You can, you can stand before your class or sit before your class and talk about it, but he knows. Stephen Covey has written a book called First Things First. And in that book, they, he asked this question, what is the one activity that you know if you did superbly, superbly well, and consistent, consistently, it would have a significant positive result in your personal life? So what's the one thing, if you did well, consistently, that would have a, a tremendous effect on your personal life, what would it be? And of course, they're talking about strategy and planning and, and, and doing things uh, in business and, and having a good uh, opportunity to, to do great things and be an effective person. 
But apply that to us as followers of Christ. What's the one thing that you can do as a believer that if you did well and did it consistently would have the greatest impact on your life? Jesus says right here, that's the one thing. It's spend time with me. Now, I've shared this with you. God convicted me uh, a, almost a year ago that being a perfectionist, I was struggling with my time alone with him because I wanted it to be perfect. <laughs> and there were days where it wasn't. There were seasons when I'm reading scripture and I'm, 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 I'm praying and it's just not a wow time. And God convicted me and said, Kevin, it, it's all right that it's not perfect in your eyes. And I wanted a wow every time. And, and he just impressed upon me, you're with me. That's all I want. And so for me, it's been, I'm willing to spend time with him if I don't get a wow, if I don't find a nugget, if there's not this fantastic truth that I can go share with somebody. You know, you love that. Here's what I learned in my quiet time today. Look what God showed me. That's exciting, but sometimes that's not there. Just to be with him. That's the one essential thing. So what would happen? I love that Pastor Matt's always encouraging all to spend time in the word. And this, this passage, I believe, comes out of what you've been reading this week or will read. That, that's important. I, I love that that's the emphasis of this church right now. Well, what would happen if everybody really got hold of that and said the one thing that can make the biggest difference in my Christian life is just spending time with Jesus. Make that a priority. Second lesson or truth in this passage. Worship of God should always precede our work for God. Worship of God, our work of God should always be preceded by, worship of God should precede our work for God. I hope I said that right the last time. In other words, before I go to work serving the Lord, before I get involved in ministry, before I do something of serving, I need to first spend time in worship of the Lord. Someone said, few things are as damaging in the Christian life as trying to do work for Christ without taking time to commune with Christ. Someone said it this way, there's nothing I can do for him without him. There's nothing I can do of significance in this world for eternity. There's nothing I can do for him if I don't have him a part of it. I was thinking about uh, just going through my study this week, the, the very term Christian, that's, that's, that was a term given to the first followers of Christ. Little, literally, they were saying, you're little Christians, little Christs. It was, it was meant to be a derogatory term, I believe, making fun of these people because they look just like Jesus. That's a good thing to have said about you. But the very name that we're known by has the name of Christ in it. That needs to be the focus. The focus of my Christian life needs to be Christ and Christ alone. You can argue what's going on with all the debates about the Asbury revival that's spreading across the country. But one of the things that I see most exciting about that is you have students falling in love with Jesus again. There are all kinds of peripherals going on, but I, when, how could you argue with people who are demonstrating their love and devotion to Jesus? It's not about what they're doing, it's just about worship. Don't lose sight of that. Don't lose sight of that as you, as you serve the Lord. Worship has to precede it, has to be the focus. I learned years ago that, that Yale and Harvard were both, both started to be ministry uh, seminaries to train preachers. Now, those two institutions right now are the most, most liberal, far-left institutions probably in the nation. But they were started to train pastors. What happened? I'll tell you what happened. They, they forgot it was about Christ. 
They forgot it was about worship. They forgot it was about relationship with him. So worship of him always has to precede working for him. Number three, if we are not careful, Christians, if we're not careful, the good will get in the way of the best. If we're not careful, we'll be like Martha, distracted by many preparations. And Jesus says in verse 42, it's the one thing, it's the best that you need. See, we spend time on little things that get in the way of the big thing, which is sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him. We have lots of photos of our family. And I, I, have, a, I have a new granddaughter, so she's, when I open my phone, her face comes up on my phone. And I tell you what, I just love looking at that picture of her. And I study that picture of her. And, and it would be crazy if, if I got to be with her today and I just pull out my phone and stare at that picture of her. Man, this is, this is so, this is, I've got the sweetest, sweetest granddaughter. There she is right there. And so he says, hey, Kevin, put the picture away. The real thing's right here. You're getting distracted by something good. It's a picture of your granddaughter. But you could have time with your granddaughter. Don't get distracted by the other things, the things that get in the way that may be good things, when what we need is to be attracted to, focused on, consumed with Jesus himself. Number four, and this goes with what we've just said, we cannot allow anything to distract us from sitting at the feet of Jesus. We can't allow anything, good or bad, to distract us from sitting with Jesus, from spending time with him. Corey Ten Boom, the, the uh, author and speaker who survived the Nazi concentration camp for helping Jews, she said this, she said, look around and be distressed. Look within and be depressed. Look at Jesus and be at rest. I love that. I can look at what's going on in my culture. It's overwhelming. It's distressing. I can look within myself and I can just get depressed because I don't have it together. But if I'll focus on him, if I'll look at him, if I will be, be sitting at his feet and not allowing anything to distract me, he alone will get the glory. Don't let anything distract you, even good things. Years ago in, in a church I pastor, we had a men's prayer breakfast. What does that title tell you? There's going to be men praying and eating breakfast. And as we started to do that monthly thing on a Saturday, I realized that the guys got the men part right and they got the breakfast part right, but they forgot about the prayer part. And by forget about, I mean this, they spent so much time and energy planning the meal. Who's gonna serve? Who's gonna cook the eggs? How are we gonna cook the eggs? Are we gonna fry sausage? Are we gonna fry bacon? Are we gonna have toast? Are we gonna do pancakes? Are we gonna serve coffee? Are we gonna serve juice? Are we going to do decaf or regular coffee? And it just, I, and it became overwhelming. We can't do the breakfast this, this week, this month, Pastor, because so-and-so's not here to cook the eggs. I want to pull my hair out. And I, I said, guys, this, the meal is not what's important here. You guys can never relate to that, right? We never do that. The meal's not what's important. It's a good thing, but that was just a part of what we're doing to get together. Because somebody told us if you'll feed men, they'll come together. That worked. But we're coming together to pray. Yes, fellowship is good. Yes, the meal is good. Yes, all of this coming together is good. But we're supposed to be praying. We're supposed to be spending time with Jesus. Don't let anything, even if it's good, distract you. And the last thing I would say by way of application is serving God is a privilege, 
more than it's a duty. Serving God like Martha was doing here became a sense of duty to her, and it should be a privilege to serve him. When you begin to feel like you're serving the Lord, Christian, when you feel like you're serving the Lord is a sense of duty, I have to do that. You need to step back, do a heart check, maybe even step out and search your own heart and search your motivation for why you're doing that. I love the story Adrian Rogers used to tell about a couple of Boy Scouts. They were challenged to do a good deed every day. So they went out and a week went by and they came to the next scout meeting. Man, their hair was messed up. Their uniforms were all torn and they looked so disheveled. And somebody said, what happened? They said, we've been doing our good deed. So what do you mean? We were, we were uh, escorting a lady across the street. Well, then why do you look so messed up? Well, she didn't want to go. <laughs> right, right intent, but wrong motivation, right? Wanted to serve, but didn't take time to step back and get it right. It became a sense of duty to them. For years, uh, I would go to camp with our kids as a pastor, and the kids loved asking me this question. Do we have to go to chapel today? And I would say, no. And they'd pause for me. I'd say, you get to go to chapel. They hang their head. Do we have to take our Bibles to chapel today? No, you get to take your Bibles to chapel. We, we learned that that was an attitude of, of, of coming together as the people of God, and that became kind of the theme of our church. Do we have to do this? No, we don't have to. We get to. If you're serving because you have to, something's wrong. You're like a Martha. Tell them to help me. That's a sense of duty. Complaining. If you're complaining about how others won't serve like you serve, something's wrong. If I want to say that, like Martha, my demonstration of my love toward the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be serving, it's going to be ministering to others, I better be sure my heart's in the right place. Now I want to close with a list of questions. And here's the first question. As we listen to this text, as we follow what Luke records from this, this occasion, first question has to be this, do I have a personal relationship with Jesus? See, here we're talking about not just doing things for God, but spending time with Him. Do you know that the most common um, way that people feel like they're gonna get to heaven is by working their way to heaven? Over the years, I've asked people this question, do you, do you believe when you die you're going to go to heaven? And they say, well, I think so. I hope so. And I'll ask them, how do you think you're going to get to heaven? Well, uh, when I die, God's going to look at all the good stuff I've done, and it's going to outweigh the bad stuff I've done, and he'll let me into heaven. In other words, I'm working my way to heaven. That's not the way you get to heaven. Heaven is by grace. Ephesians says it so clearly. 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved. Through faith it's a gift of God. It's not of yourselves so that no one can boast. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot work your way to heaven. And if you don't know him today, if you would just simply say, I, I'm recognizing that I can't be good enough to get into heaven, but Jesus paid the price for my sin on the cross. He was the one who was perfect, not just good enough. He was the perfect sacrifice for my sin. He died on the cross for me. I willingly, by faith, believe that. And I will trust him as my savior. I'll turn from my sin. And invite him to be the Lord of my life. That's how you become a Christian. That's how you become a follower of Christ. So all this talk this morning about serving the Lord and, and an attitude of worship, it all starts with knowing him as Savior. If you don't know him, you need to know him. We'll give you an opportunity as we conclude today to do that.
But for those of us who are followers of Christ, is my ministry, is my service motivated by love for the Lord? Or is it motivated by a sense of duty? Has serving become a burden to me? Do I resent others who do, not, who do not serve the Lord like I serve the Lord? Maybe they're not as committed as I am. Do I resent that? Am I neglecting my time sitting at the feet of Jesus? Does worship of Jesus precede my work for Jesus? And as I work for him, is he with me? And lastly, have I allowed anything to distract me from my relationship with Christ, my walk with him? Important questions. I love the story about a college professor, and I've seen this done, who brought a big, large jar and set it up on the table in front of the class and put a bunch of big rocks in it and asked the class, is that full now? And some said yes, some said no. And he went and got some smaller rocks and dumped those smaller rocks in and shook it and asked the class, is this full yet? The class finally got the message. They said no. Then he got some gravel and poured the gravel in and shook it. And, and it looked like it was full, but he said, it's not full yet, is it? No, it isn't. And then they got some sand and poured some sand in and shook it. And some said it's full. He said, no, it isn't. Then he got some water and poured some water in and, and finally filled the jar up. And he said, what's the moral of this story, class? And, and some of them said this, well, no matter how much you think you're, you're full, there's always room for more. No matter how busy you are, there's always room to do more things. He said, no, that's the opposite. Here's the lesson. Put the big rocks in first. Because if you put that other stuff in first, you'll never get the big rocks in. Folks, verse 40 is the big rock. If you're a follower of Christ, the one thing that you need to be doing is spending time with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've been dealing with my heart about this issue of prioritizing my time with you. God, I thank you for your grace and compassion and mercy with me. Lord, for those who are here today, maybe somebody watching online, who acknowledge today that they've never trusted Christ as personal Lord and Savior, Lord, I pray that today would be the day that by faith they would open their heart to you. But Lord, some, maybe many, who've heard this passage today, as we've, as we've studied it, would recognize they've had to answer some of those questions in a way that's convicting. Lord, may today be the day that we repent, that we focus our hearts and our mind and our full attention on you, our worship of you. It's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.